Well, Northy, it's great to be with you again this morning. We've come to the end of our series on David, and uh, I've got the privilege of kind of wrapping up a little bit. And uh, so th- this morning I want to talk on the, the topic of resolution. I feel that David came to some resolutions in his uh, later life, and I'll look at um, some of that in uh, in one of the Psalms, and, uh, and that's what we're going to do. So resolution is something you normally come to as you get older. It's uh, it's where we resolve the tension between our ambition and our ability. And we come to some conclusions that things that we thought we might aim for when we were younger, they're just not going to happen. You know, those ones you realise you're never going to be a professional, insert the term, sportsman. You put in there whatever you think, you know, fireman, whatever it was that was, was going around in your head when you were six. You realise that you're never going to become a movie star or a rock star. It's just not going to happen. You know, you were there with the brush. You were doing all your stuff. It was looking really good. It was sounding really good. And then one day, somebody said, can you just shut that noise up? And you realise it wasn't going to happen. For some of you like me, you realised one day you were never going to be tall. It just wasn't going to go that way for you. And perhaps some of you ladies came to the conclusion one day that you were never able to be trained your husband to do exactly what you wanted. And so you came to some conclusions and you made some resolutions. And today I want to look at uh, David, of course, as we finish up. And we're going to go to Psalm 139. And we're going to look at some of the things that David realized, some of the conclusions that he drew and a resolution that he made at the end of that psalm. So let's pray. Father, we ask today that you'd open the word to us today, that you'd open our minds to understand the word, and Lord, you open our spirit to believe and to trust and to obey your word, <coughs> your word excuse me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so starting at the beginning, David says this, Oh Lord, you have examined my, my heart. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Excuse me, I've got a bit of a a tickle in my throat. And so I've already clued the boys up today. That if we if I fall about coughing, we're gonna go again. The first thing David realizes he he cannot evade God's omniscience. The fact that God knows everything. He, he realizes, Lord, even when I'm about to have a thought, you already know what I'm thinking. He says, God, when I'm about to say something, you already know what I'm about to say. And it's like, God, when I when I think I'm gonna go somewhere. You already know I'm going there. And, and what's more, you've already gone there and prepared grace for me. God, this is, this this knowledge, this knowledge that you have, Lord, is too wonderful for me. It's just, it's blowing my mind. But one thing I can't avoid in all of this, Lord, is that you go before me and you follow me and you place your hand of blessing on me, even though you know who I am. Nothing's hidden from you. You know me completely, Lord, and yet you still love me. And even though I compromise, God, because of your covenant, 
You say you're going to go before me. You say that you will guide me in the path of righteousness. You'll go before me. And Lord, that your goodness and mercy will follow after me and keep me. And God, it's doing my head in. But I've just got to say, Lord, you're amazing. Your knowledge is amazing. The second thing we find in chapters, in verses 7 to 10, David cannot escape God's omnipresence. He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, and if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. David realizes he cannot escape from the fact that God is everywhere he goes. And then he concludes something. He, he says, hang on, God's not there to snoop on me. He's not there to catch me out in something. God's presence is with him to guide him, to strengthen him and to support him. And that's an amazing thing. You know, when, when you realize that God is always with you, and that he's not going to kill you when you find yourself in some place you shouldn't be. The best thing to do is to go, God, I know you're here. God, get me out of here. Help me to get out of this thing that I found myself in. David realized that God was there to guide, strengthen, and support him. Number three, David realized that he cannot exist apart from God's omnipotence, apart from God's power. He says in verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. The Apostle Paul comes to the same conclusion in Acts chapter 17. He's talking to the, to the people of Athens and he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided uh, beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall and he determines their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, even though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have uh, and exist, or another translation says, and have our being. David concluded that his very existence was a demonstration of God's incredible power. And he, he began to look at how how incredibly wonderful he's made. You know, have you ever seen any of that kind of really good photography where, um, you know, it might, it might look at a, a child in the womb or some incredible thing. You know, we, we, we look at, we look at the, the, the mother as the mother's growing and we know that there's a baby in there because we can see the evidence that something's in there. But the, the incredible thing about God is that <laughs> he sees that little one in the womb. You know, I love my grandchildren, but I don't love them as much as Jesus does because he was there when they were being woven together in their mother's womb. And uh, lastly, David recognized that he was enveloped by God's loving thoughts. 
In verse 17 and 18, he says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake up, you're still there with me. I was thinking about this today, you know, the times when, as a child, I was unwell. And uh, you can hear me coughing uh, today a little bit. And when I was a, a little boy, I used to get bronchitis really badly. And, uh, you know, it came with fevers and delusions and all kinds of crazy stuff. People have always said I was a bit deluded. And I was truly deluded when I was a child, having all sorts of night sweats. But I can remember at times my mother just sitting beside me, watching me. And then waking up, and she's still there. You know, she hadn't busied herself with something because she thought I'd be okay. And when I awoke, she was still there. And David's saying, when I wake up, you're still there with me. Your presence hasn't left me. You're still watching over me. You're still looking after me. Your thoughts are toward me. And look, you know, if David says that God's thoughts toward him are like the sands of the sea, isn't isn't that true for us? You know, he's not limited. Uh, I remember someone sharing uh, once, which was a great analogy. I thought God is not a pie. You know, he's, he's not got a limited capacity. And if, if God's, uh, you know, I'm here today with, with uh, some friends, some Caleb and, and Jack and Andy, the great congregation. And, um, but the thing is that if, if God's thinking about Andy, he's not a pie. So it, his thoughts about me don't diminish because he's thinking about Andy, and and then Jack comes on the uh, on the scene, and all of a all of a sudden the God thought pie has gone from one piece, one pie to three pieces, and then Caleb shows up, and all of a sudden I'm only getting a quarter of the pie. It doesn't work like that. God is unlimited, and uh, he's like he's like when a mother sees uh, subsequent children. And all of a sudden, the love that a parent has for the first one is doubled, not shared. And, and so that continues. God's just like that. So these are the things that David realized. Let's look at what he resolved to do. He resolved to sur- surrender to God's uh, prescience, his knowledge, his, his presence, his omnipotence, uh, sorry, his uh, omnipresence and his power, his omnipotence. And he determined that he was going to depend on God's mercy and his loving kindness. And, and, and this is a great combination, you know. There's times when we need God's mercy, isn't there? When, you know, he knows what we've done and he's seen what we've done and we realize that he knows what we've done and we've, he's seen what we've done and we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's why Paul writes, uh, the writer of the Hebrews, sorry, says that let us therefore go into the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. And that grace to help in the time of need, that's his goodness, his loving kindness. David writes, we've said it before, surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David recognized this. And toward the end of his life, he's just made this decision He's made this resolution. I've seen all these things. I've realized all these things, Lord. And I've come to the conclusion that you are for me. You're not against me. See, if we're ever going to be people who are wholeheartedly chasing after Jesus, 
We have to come to that conclusion that God is for us and not against us, that he goes before us and he covers our back, that his thoughts towards us are precious and are are, uh, more than the the grains of sand on the seashore, Uh, that he's just absolutely besotted with us because he is the bride, sorry, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And, uh, you know, when you, when you, you fall in love and you meet that woman you're going to marry, uh, you know, they, they, have, they have flaws. But there's plenty of time to find that out. At that moment, they are absolutely perfect. And uh, the great thing about Jesus is he's not an earthly bridegroom. He's a heavenly bridegroom. And he loves us in spite of our flaws. And he loves us completely in spite of our flaws. And this is what David recognized. So what did he resolve to do? Well, he chose to be vulnerable before the Lord. He said, this is the way I'm going to live. Realizing that I can't escape any of these things, that they're part of the package, that God is with me, he knows me, and... uh, He knows what I'm doing and he's always with me. Realizing all of that, I have no choice but to make myself vulnerable before him. And so we come to the end of the psalm and this is what it says in verse 23 and 24. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. We live in this tension, in this this dichotomy of being people whose hearts are wicked above all things. That's what Jeremiah says. The heart of man is wicked above all things. But we also live in the understanding that Ezekiel says that God is going to come and give us a new heart. He's going to take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Now, when it says take out, it doesn't mean he's going to take it out of our body and uh, we're not going to have to worry about that anymore. He's going to take it out of that place of control where it doesn't have to have control over us. Every moment of the day we have a choice, heart of stone, heart of flesh, and we can choose to move towards one. And, you know, you know this because you felt those times when you've been heart of stone guy and then... You know, those times when you've been heart of flesh girl, you know, and you understand how this all works. The next thing he says is, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Oh, boy. When I read this, I, I it just it comes alive to me because I recognize that most of the times when I have significantly failed, they've always been the times when I've been significantly anxious. When I've when my anxiety and my my doubts and my fears are elevated to the point where they block out God's goodness and God's mercy and God's capacity and God's power. And, and I think I am just limited to what I can do. And I start to get worried about it. And so David says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out to me anything that offends you. You know, it, it, this, this is the, you know, Paul says, Paul says later on in the, in the, in the Bible, he says that, um, these are the things that those who are mature do. This one is for the mature. Lord, 
point out anything that offends me. You know, when we're young, sorry, point out anything that offends you. When we're young, we, we, we want to cover all our frailties and our flaws before God. Because we haven't learnt what David learns in this passage, where we're going, Lord, I, I, I want to put my best case forward. I want to present myself as best I can because we don't realize that he knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly what we're capable of, good or bad. He knows exactly what we're going to do in our next breath. And he loves us insanely. He loves us insanely. And he's for us in the midst of it, even when we're breaking his heart. His grace and mercy is still toward us. When we understand that, we go, God, I can be brave in front of you, Lord. Show me the things that offend you, because I know you're not going to kill me. I know you're not going to throw me away. In fact, Jesus said, um, he who comes to me, I will never cast out. And then finally he says, and, and lead me in the path of everlasting life. And it's important to understand that this everlasting life, it's not a destination. Eternal life is not a destination where we finally get to some place and we're going to be alive forever. Eternal life, everlasting life, is a God kind of life that Jesus put inside of us when we were born again. The, the Bible says, John says that uh, Jesus has life within him and he gave it, gives it, he gives that life to whomever he chooses. And so this morning I want to say, you know, as you are endeavoring to become wholehearted, for the Lord. We just want to be candidates for God's life. And so today, what a, what a great opportunity just where you are in your living rooms or with some family or with some friends, whatever you're doing, just to, to, to think about these things today, that God knows you. Uh, he knows who you are, where you are, where you're going, everything about you. Uh, he's with you wherever you go to lead you, to guide you, to have his hand of mercy upon you. And, uh, and he's powerful. He's powerful for us. The Bible says his power is toward us who believe. And he's powerful for us. And just take a moment to say, God, I understand who you are. And, and I know that I can wholeheartedly commit myself to you because of this understanding. And so today, we're just going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we stand before you, understanding your heart, understanding your passion for us, knowing your grace and mercy is directed towards us, and Lord, your power is all around us and through us. God, I ask that you would give us the grace more and more to stand before you and say, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything in me that offends you, Lord and lead me into the path of everlasting life. For your son's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Norlis, have a great day. Go out and enjoy the presence and the, and the, the grace of God. Amen. <laughs>